You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, so good to have you with us today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman completing all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight, and right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. Listen, I'm so very glad to have you with us today because I want to talk with you about something that uh, I don't. a lot of people don't want to talk about. We're going to talk today about that subject called money. And when we talk about money, a lot of people start shutting down. Oh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And we start thinking about, well, what he's going to get around to today is, is tithing. Uh, he's going to get around to the things that might make me feel a little uncomfortable. So uh, is there any way around this today? And that, there probably is a way around it, but we're not going to take that way today. We want to talk in terms of what Jesus might just want with our money. And we're going to use a historical example to try to figure that out. And we're going to get to all of that right after this. One of the sponsors of our program today is Teleos Press. Lots of really great books at teleospress.com. Now, Teleos is the Greek word for whole, complete, perfect. Now, let, me, let me spell it to, for you here just a minute. It's T-E-L-E-I-O-S. 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 E-I-O-S. So go to teleospress.com for a lot of wonderful volumes, including the 5Q Method of Discipleship, my book, which is going to teach you more about how to be a serious disciple maker for Jesus, but a lot of other books besides that. Now, check it out. It's at teleospress.com. Now, to start this off today, I basically want to talk to you about a scriptural verse that you all know. In fact, we used to sing an old song. Uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of the sixth chapter, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I remember I was in seminary. Uh, I teach at a seminary called Wesley Biblical Seminary, but I was, I was attending another seminary at that point, and we, I had a great disciple maker that had gathered me and some other guys into his den on a week-by-week -week basis and would basically talk to us about the things of Jesus and how we could be more like he wants us to be, how we could be Christ-like, uh, how we could be full of the Spirit, how we could be entirely God's. And so it was a, it was a beautiful time, and I so very much appreciate that time with him. Uh, from time to time, he would go over a passage, look up at us, and ask, all right, Guys, what do you think? And guess what? We happen to be on Matthew 6, 33 that day. And he says, all right, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He looked up and said, what do you think? And I expected my buddies, we had about four or five of us in there, somebody to say something. No one was saying anything. It's an easy verse to say something about. No one decided to lift up their hands. So I decided, well, uh, in that silence, let me move in and do what I can sometimes do, and that is say something stupid. So I moved in. I said, well, I can tell you what I think. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? I said, I 
don't really like this verse. And everybody looked at me like, what are you talking about? You don't like this verse. I mean, in that group of people, we believed in an inerrant word, that the Bible is without error. And all of a sudden I'm saying, hey, this Bible without error, this verse without error, I don't like. And so they all looked at me and said, well, what are you talking about, Matt? And I said, well, I don't like the word first. I think that's the evangelical problem. Everyone decides to have it first, for instance, the first day of the week. What, week, what day is that? It's Sunday. So let me give God Sunday, especially Sunday worship, and I'll go to you know some kind of small group, some, some kind of Sunday school class. But after that, uh, I'm going to have it my way, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In fact, I'm willing to tithe. God says tithe, I'll give 10%, but I'm going to have it my way with the uh, next 90% of that deal. I don't think God ought to be able to stick his nose into my business on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or with uh, the 90% of my money, particularly after I've given a tithe. I, I expect to give a tithe and get blessed. I said, I happen to think that's a problem. I don't like the word first here. Well, they all laughed at me. I get it. That kind of laughed at me too. But about a year later, I'm at the University of Kansas now, and I'm studying for my PhD. And I uh, have a college Bible study that's going to meet over at my house. So waiting for them to show up. And as I'm waiting, I look down. I thought, well, look at that verse. It's still there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I still don't like it. So uh, it seemed like the Lord was saying, well, go look up that word first, Matt, just to kind of clear your mind. And so I decided to go up and look up the word first. Now, I happen to have a 10-volume work. I mean, it's huge. It's voluminous. It's scholarly. It's called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. And I decided that I'm going to look up the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament and find out what the word for first is. And the word, by the way, is proton. So let me look up the article for proton. Now, the article for proton starts on page 868. Uh, it talks about this word for uh, a page and a half, and then another half page. So for, for two pages. So I'm on page 868, and it seems to me like the word for first in the New Testament means first. <laughs> that, that's, all, <laughs> that's all I got. First means first. Proton means first. What, it's almost like the page is, is saying to me, what else do you expect that to say, buddy? And I'm, I'm about ready to the slam the thing shut and put it outside. Let me turn to the last page, see page 870 says. And this is what it says. The sense above all occurs elsewhere in the New Testament at Matthew 6.33. So the meaning here cannot be that one must first seek after God's kingdom and then after other things. Above all is the only meaning which corresponds to the central position which orientation to the kingdom of God has in proclamation of Jesus. Now, I read all that to you. It sounds scholarly, but here is the last sentence on page 870 of volume six of the Theological Diction of the New Testament. It says this. Are you listening? Indeed, says the writer of this article, proton is so exclusive here that it carries the implication of only. Seek ye only the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek only God. Seek only the king. Seek only the kingdom. Seek only his righteousness. And guess what? 
you're going to be taken care of. Guess what? <laughs> the kingdom is yours. And I just thought to myself, ah, I like it. Seek ye only the kingdom of God. Now, the reason I say all that is to say there's some lessons there to be learned with our money. And I told you we were going to use a, an historical example, and we indeed are going to use John Wesley. Now, I teach at Wesley Biblical Seminary. So you might imagine that John Wesley comes up occasionally for us, but let me just explain Wesley real quick. He was a serious Christian. He believed in the spirit-filled life. He believed in entire sanctification. And he believed that not only him personally, but his money ought to be entirely God's. So early in his career and before his conversion, Wesley was elected a fellow of Lincoln College at Oxford University. And he was paid. They had him signed up to a contract for 30 pounds a year. Now, that... That position afforded him this comfortable living and some discretionary funds, which he promptly expended on such amenities as, remember now, this, this is a prior to his conversion. He used it for playing cards and tobacco and brandy, and he was employed in, you know, I guess comparatively innocent activity. But one day he encountered a chambermaid right outside of his door. Uh, she didn't have on much for a coat. It was a blustery English winter, and this Oxford Don decided let me give her some money. I mean, we should go buy a coat or something. He reached into his pocket for a bit of charity, but he found little. He, 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 just, he had just finished painting for a few pictures for his room, and he was broke. And then he said, the thought struck me with force. The Lord must certainly be displeased with this situation. Will the master say, well done, good and faithful steward? You've adorned your walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from cold. Oh, justice, oh, mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? So Wesley felt so bad about that moment, he decided, I am going to set down a budget for myself. Now, y'all, we all ought to have budgets. If you don't have a budget, you need to get a budget, and budget is important to have. It's basically and simply a plan. What do, we, what do we do when we're thinking about budget? We're going to set down a plan that adjusts our expenses with income. Uh, Larry Burkett used to be an old guy that would talk a lot about money. He said, you know, it's nothing more than a short-range plan for how you will spend your money during the coming year. A budget should not restrict your freedom to enjoy life. It should expand it by helping you to live within your means and not go into debt. If you're already in debt, a budget will help you out. So that's what a budget is. And John Wesley says, I, I apparently need one. So remember now, he's making 30 pounds a year. He decides he needed 28 pounds a year to live comfortably and responsibly, and he decided to give the rest away. Now, if, you're, if you know anything about math, and I don't know much, but I, I, I ran, the, ran the numbers, 30 pounds, he's going to live on 28, and he's going to give away 2 pounds. That's 7%. That's not a tithe. But this is what happened to him the second year. He was a publisher. He was an editor. He was a writer. And boy, in the next several years, his income absolutely expanded. The second year, he made 60 pounds, double. Now, if that happens to me, if that happens to most of us, we are considering, well, you know, I, I wasn't able to tie the first year, but I can now. I can give six pounds now. Sixty pounds. Uh, see, uh, yeah, that, that's 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 six pounds. 
that I can give now to the poor and to the kingdom, to the church. But that's not what he did. He says, no, I've already determined that I need 28 pounds to live on, so I'm going to give everything else I make away. And so that year, he lived on 28, and he gave away 32. Now, the income just kept going up. Third year, he makes 90 pounds. Fourth year, he makes 120 pounds. In those years, he, he gave away 69% and then 77% of his money. Eventually, he would give across his lifetime, and he would be a millionaire, except he never kept it. He would keep giving it away to the tune of 98% of his income. He just didn't keep it on himself. He wanted to give it to Jesus. He wanted to give it to the cause of the kingdom. He wanted to give his money away for righteousness sake. So y'all, he then would say, okay, people are beginning to ask, so let me go ahead and do a sermon or two on this. And one of his most famous sermons is called The Use of Money. Now, some of you may have seen before that uh, he's got a collection of these sermons. Uh, some of them are called the 52 Standard Sermons of John Wesley. Well, one of those standard sermons was the use of money because he wanted his people to hear it, to know it, to read it, and to hear other preachers preach that sermon. And so his example just lent power to his words. In this sermon, The Use of Money, he suggested a few questions that you and I should calmly and seriously ask before we purchase something for ourselves or our family. Number one, am I acting herein not as a proprietor, that is, an owner, but as a steward of my Lord's goods? So, my money is not my money. It belongs to Jesus. So, am I doing with it what he wants me to do? Number two, am I doing this in obedience to his word. So you're about ready to haul off and buy a boat. And what scripture does he require you to do so? Number three, can I offer up this action or this expense as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? These are kind of uncomfortable. Those of you who didn't want to listen to this podcast in the beginning because this is going to be an uncomfortable podcast, it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Number four, have I reason to believe that for this very work, this very expenditure, I shall have a reward at the resurrection of the just? That's in his sermon on the use of money. He says, listen, you people out there that are beginning to follow Jesus, these are four questions you need to have with you when you go to spend money. Now, this is what he said then. He said, okay, if you're still unclear, just in case you're still unclear whether you want to buy that couch or that boat or that car, here's a prayer. Try whether you can say to the searcher of hearts, your conscience not condemning you, Lord, you see, I'm going to expend this sum on that food or that apparel or that furniture. And you know, I act therein with a single eye as a steward of your goods expending this portion of them thus in pursuance of the design you had in entrusting me with them. And you know, Lord, you know, I do this in obedience to your word as you command because you command it. Let this, I beseech you, be a holy sacrifice acceptable through Jesus Christ. And give me a witness in myself, Lord, that for this labor of love, this expenditure, I shall have a recompense. I shall have a reward when you reward every person according to their works. <laughs> now, Wesley said, if your conscience bear you witness in the Holy Ghost that this prayer is well-pleasing to God, then you have no reason to doubt. But that expense is right and good, and as such as will never make you ashamed 
I'm just asking you, friends, what would happen if the kingdom of God and the people of the kingdom quit thinking in terms of, hey, I've got this money and I've tithed, now what can I do with my money? And started thinking in terms of what does Jesus want me to do with his money? If the church of Jesus Christ, if your family, if your small group could begin thinking thoughts like that, can you imagine what the Lord could do with that kind of movement? Now, if guidelines were one facet of Wesleyan discipleship, prophetic utterance was another. Because, boy, could he lay it down. He has another sermon called, Lay Not Up For Yourselves Treasures Upon Earth. Now, this sermon was part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount series of John Wesley. And by the way, I highly recommend you go read these sermons. The Use of Money, by the way, you can type them in on Google. You can go to Google and say, hey, John Wesley, The Use of Money, and it'll pop up right there for you. The words are a little bit dated. Uh, I mean, this was all the way back in the 18th century, 1700s. Nonetheless, force yourself to get through one of those sermons over uh, two or three days, and then go look up not just the use of money, but look up, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And this is what he said. I mean, this is tough stuff. For high eating and drinking, fine clothes and fine houses, state and equipage, for pleasures and diversions, do all of them naturally hurt and disorder our heart? They're the food and nourishment of all the folly and weakness of our nature. They're contrary to that sobriety and piety of heart which relishes divine things. Every man ought to provide the plain necessaries of life. I'm not talking about delicacies. I'm not talking about, hey, let's do something extra for ourselves this year. No, just the plain necessaries. Whosoever, I say, being already in these circumstances, if you still want more than the plain necessaries, you live, and this is John Wesley now, you live in an open and habitual denial of the Lord that bought you. You have practically denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Then he says this. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable stuff. When will you be persuaded to choose the better part? That which cannot be taken away from you. You've murdered your own soul. You've extinguished the last spark of spiritual life therein. Now, indeed, in the midst of life, you are in death. You're a living man, but you're a dead Christian. Your affections are set not on things above, but on things of the earth, on poor husks that may poison but cannot satisfy an everlasting spirit made for God. You have thrown away the treasure in heaven. God and Christ are lost. You have gained riches and hell fire. <laughs> so what Wesley wanted for his converts is that they seek after the plain necessaries and they give the rest to Jesus. I mean, give it away. And John Wesley said, I want to tell you, I am going to live up to this myself. And he made enough to be called, easily enough to be called, a multi-millionaire. But he never kept it. He ate and he dressed very modestly and wrote that if I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and all mankind bear witness against me that I lived and died a thief and a robber. And no one upon his death was disappointed. Now, a few people along the way wondered, yeah, really? Come on, John Wesley. You've, you, you've got some laid aside somewhere. I mean, the commissioner of excise, the, the IRS of the day in England, they thought, you're negligent. You, you are not reporting your entire holdings. And after examining his return, they wrote a letter expecting him to confess. I mean, this is the great John Wesley. 
he'll surely say, yep, you guys caught me. Sorry, my bad. And here's the money that I owe you. But he didn't say that. They said, we cannot doubt, but you have silver plate. You've got, you got some silver somewhere tucked away. That's what rich people do. That's what you've done. Admit it. We cannot doubt, but you have silver plate for which you have hitherto neglected to make an entry. Wesley fired back a response in September of 1776. He says, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. That's all I've got. That's all the plate I have. And I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. So, whole point with John Wesley is he knew that he was a blessed man. And he decided not to keep the blessings for himself, but in as much as he possibly could to spread them out. And he spread them out strategically to take care of the poor, to take care of the needy, to take care of the unevangelized. And that's why there was something called a Wesleyan revival. That's why there was a great movement of the spirit spreading across England. And it came to America. John Wesley sent a guy named Francis Asbury, and Francis Asbury lived the same way, that there was nothing, certainly not money, between me and my relationship with the Lord. Therefore, I am going to live generously. Live, I mean, how shall we say it? Live buoyantly. Live lavishly. But that meant to live on the plain necessaries and to give everything else away for the glory of God. I mean, what a testimony. And can you imagine if today's disciples would decide that's how we're going to live? We're not keeping anything for ourselves. In fact, I, I love the a letter uh, that John Wesley's sister wrote to him. He says, hey, you know, John, I, I have a financial need. Can you help me? And Wesley sent back a letter that was very terse. And he says, listen, you know I don't have any money. <laughs> now, that's, that's news to everybody because he's a millionaire. But he wasn't a millionaire because he didn't keep it. Now, he had a millionaire's income, but he got rid of it just as fast as he could. Now, again, he made his millions basically on uh, publishing and writing tracts and writing these sermons and hymn books, etc. And there was income, but the income he didn't think was for him, but for the kingdom. So he lived on that 28 pounds a year and, and, and then eventually moved it up to 30 and gave the balance away for Jesus and the cause of Christ across England and eventually to America. And folks, do you think that the Holy Spirit could do such a work in our hearts that that kind of thing could happen? And if that kind of thing could happen in us, could it happen in our families? If it could happen in our families, you think it could happen in our small groups our discipleship groups, our Sunday school classes, our, our, our home cells. And if it could happen there, do you think it could happen in our churches? Do you think it could happen in this nation that all of a sudden the prosperity gospel is not God prospering us, but God prospering through us into a hurting and lost and lonely and pained world? Boy, that's the kind of, that's the kind of vision we all ought to be saying, God, give me more of that. And, and begin setting down budgets to say, hey, I'm not going to say you're going to follow this exact program. If you did, that wouldn't be bad. How much do I need? And anything beyond what I need, I'm giving away. What a way to live life. What a way to live life. And friends, God's calling you to a more radical lifestyle than you've ever had. And maybe your money, 
maybe your pocketbook, maybe your wallet, maybe your bank account, maybe your 401k, your 403b, whatever you've got to save for retirement. Maybe that's a starting place to say, you know, I'm going to take care of myself, but only for the plain necessaries. And then I'm going radical. I'm giving it away. And then see that he might not bless you even more. He did it with John Wesley. Okay, you're going you're gonna to play uh, this game that way. I'm going to give you more money than John. And John just kept giving it away, giving it away, living on the same amount for the plain necessaries, but giving it away. What could Jesus do with a group of people like that? All right, it's a wrap. You honor me by listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Just type in Matt Friedemann and see what's offered there. And always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember this, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.